Hello and welcome. You are listening to... Gabby, what are they listening to? Oh, that didn't come through at all. That is uh, that didn't come oh. through at all. Uh, you're listening to the Investor Lab, guys. And in case you don't know who we are, you've got Goose and then you've got a faulty microphone. Now, you've got Goose and Gabby. Hey, Gabby. Hello. I'm Gabby. Hello. <laughs> hey. So, what are we talking about on today's? <laughs> what are we talking about on today's show? Um, we talked about why we don't buy all the properties. And this has basically come up. It's a recurring question that's kind of come up over the last few years. Um, largely when we talk about the results that Dashdop gets for our clients, um, we tend to get met with a lot of disbelief about, you know, okay, if we found these amazing deals, why wouldn't you just go and buy them yourselves? Um, so we kind of pull that apart in this episode. Yep, exactly. So we picked apart this and we talked about a lot of different stuff. We talked about scarcity versus abundance. Um, we talked about, you know, the fact that it's not a zero-sum game. It's about loads of really cool things. Um, so hopefully this gives you some insight and answers because I'm sure it's been a question that a lot of people have had, you know, like why, why don't Goose, if Gav, Goose and Gabby are so good, why don't they just go and buy all the properties themselves, right? It's a fair question um, that has got some very simple and easy to understand answers, which is what this episode is all about. Um, so there's not a lot of real estate tactics in this, but it is an answer to a question a lot of people have been asking. Well, let me just rephrase that. Some people on social media have been asking that question. It's not actually that common that we get it, but I thought it was an interesting question for us to, uh, for us to tackle. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and we'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Lockdown Radio with your hosts. people. <laughs> it's happening. It's, it's happening. Ha- it's happening. So for um, so we often talk about where we are in Bondi, the epicenter this time, the the petri dish of the nation as it currently stands at the time of recording. Um, how are you going, Gabby? How are you coping with lockdown? Getting a little bit over it, to be honest. We're only like three weeks in. Two weeks in? Three weeks. Four three. weeks. Yeah, yeah, three, Lost scout. Four, Lost not sure. count. Yeah, super interesting because I'm like, I've always thought that I'd be, I could handle this. <laughs> I thought I'd be the kind of personality that would be like, no, nah, got this. Lockdown, bring it on. At home on the couch, chill out, do your thing. Like, that's, that's me. But I'm like, I'm a little bit over it now. Yeah. I've decided to grow a lockdown beard, so have. <laughs> everyone needs a like everyone, need, everyone needs a project, you know, Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> my, my hobby's squeezing out hairs. Just yep. <laughs> yep. every night before bed, just staring in the mirror, like grow. <laughs> just flexing, grow. Flexing, flexing my jaw, see if I, see, seeing if I can squeeze out a few more hairs. That's, um, what, that's what's happening. Okay. Uh, crikey so why don't we actually why don't we why don't we uh, people people actually talk about stuff that people people don't tune in to talk about my hair so let's get let's get on with it what do you reckon yes Yes. next week Next week week on Goose's Hair Adventures. Uh, Anyway, let us let's let's get into it. Right. So, um, there was an interesting there was an interesting question that was posed on social media, which we don't really get on anymore. But one of our team actually um, pointed it out to us and sent it to us and said, "Hey, this is an interesting question." That somebody had 
asked. And it's not the first time that this question has been asked. And it's a really interesting question. Um, and so we thought we would talk about this question on today's episodes. <gasps> Is there enough mystery around that? I really want to know the question. <laughs> on the well, edge a, of my seat. <laughs> well, it's a pretty simple one. Basically, why don't we buy all the properties? You know, if all these properties are so good, all the properties that we find, why don't, why don't you and I just go and buy all the properties? And it's a very interesting question with many, with many facets. And I think um, that I think it would be really an interesting one to pick apart uh, to, yeah, for this episode. What do you think? Yeah, it's a funny question because it's personally there's a lot of layers of like emotional response whenever I hear that kind of a question, and we'll kind of go through the different, <laughs> the different um, kind of broken it into like four aspects of like why we actually don't just go and buy them all ourselves. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think there's I think there's a root cause of the question too, um, which we we've created we've kind of got four things we want to kind of talk about in this, but we haven't done actually talk about the root cause, right? So the reason that people ask that question is actually one of the biggest challenges that we face, and one of the biggest challenges that we face as a as an organization as a company that helps people is that our results are really really good. Now I'm not saying that to to grandstand or to or to or, you know, or anything like that, it's the, the facts are there, you know, like the facts are proven that systematically our clients get exceptionally good results, right? Now, even though in the current, uh, you know, in the, in the current year, you know, the property markets are booming, so there's a lot of growth and stuff going on, but systematically our clients are getting, you know, between 60 and, and 200% return on invested capital. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And the problem, the problem with that is that people don't believe that it's real, right? That's the problem like, is it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, the problem is it sounds untrue, right? Um, but these are just facts, you know, and we don't make this kind of stuff up. The way that we prove the the facts is so we help our clients to to find and acquire properties. Cool. Most people who have listened to the podcast probably get that that's what we do. We do it. We're a strategic investment property acquisition company. And so what we what we do is we help them to buy the property. And then what we do periodically is we order bank valuations to check, right? So then we do what's called a performance review. And then when we do the performance review, we say, okay, great. How much is the property worth now? And great. How much cash flow is it creating? And all of this kind of stuff. And we go, great. And then we go back to our clients and we say, hey, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on with the property. And then what we do is we then communicate those kind of average performances and, you know, some of the individual case studies that our clients uh, have achieved, we then communicate that outwardly into, into, the, into the world, whether it be via the podcast or other interviews or, you know, social media stuff and everything like that. And so where it is coming from is just the process. We've bought properties, we've got bank valuations, et cetera, and then we're just reporting on the results. The problem is that people just don't think it's true. And so then when you, when you, when you show someone something that, is, that seems so far beyond what their ordinary comprehension is, they firstly believe that either it isn't true or if it is true, then, are you, then why on earth would you help somebody else buy that? Why wouldn't you do it for yourself? Because they assume that it must be you know, one in a billion or one in a trillion or like you know a one of a kind right mm-hmm. so there's kind of the there's kind of the root uh, the root cause of it um and i don't think i don't think like we're the first people the first kind of business people who have ever like come across this as a as a question i think this is a 
inherent question for a lot of people who may be a little removed from a product or a service that a business kind of supplies and and removed from the reasons why they might be doing it as opposed to just like consuming it all themselves. Um, so I think it's, you know, outside of real estate, I think a lot of people would may come across this question as well, where it's like, well, why, why should I believe you basically? Like, why would you, why are you doing this for, for the good of whatever you say you're doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you not just taking it all yourself? So, yeah. 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 100%. And I think, I think there's a few things to unpack, right? Because fundamentally, like, like just to be completely transparent for everyone listening, if we really thought that they were the only properties that were going to, that were going to be that good, then I'm sorry, we probably would just go buy them ourselves. Like if we thought that they were the only ones, if we thought that there was only two or three properties in the world that you were going to get really good growth and really good cash flow, well, fine, we'd probably just go, probably just go buy them, right? But therein lies a fundamental component of the whole, the whole premise right so one of the one of the one of the what one of the biggest things is that people think it people think that it's a zero-sum game right people think that um maybe there's only probably a couple of them and therefore why would we share them with anybody else it must be it must be it must be bullshit basically um but that's just not true like the fact the fact of the matter is that you know and i don't want to sound too blase about it but the deal of a lifetime comes along about twice a week in what we do and we've spent an extensive amount of time energy effort um you know blood sweat tears money all kinds of stuff to build a system that allows us to identify what other people would see as a once in a lifetime opportunity but to be able to do it systematically in a, in a repeatable process well, that's I mean, that's unique, right? That is unique. Um, but if we hadn't done that, and if we thought that it was only one or two, well, I'd probably buy one and you'd probably buy one or, you know, maybe if there was four or five of them, maybe we'd get one for each of our family members and be done with it, right? But then, but then, at the end of the day, that's not, firstly, that's not true. And secondarily, I think there's an even uh, bigger point, point to that as well. Like the whole reason that we started doing this is because we wanted to help other people, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Gammy? Yeah, like I think, so like point number one in all of this is like abundance versus scarcity. So as people know, if you've been listening to the show, we're quite abundant people. It's one of our core values is like freedom, choice, and abundance. So we've got a deep-seated belief that there is way more opportunity and way more everything, more abundant than people really acknowledge and people really think about. So I was thinking over this earlier because um, it's hard to say like, well, there's just an abundance of opportunities and, you know, it's this infinite supply, um, which is not really what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say like there is this endless amount of property and you're just like not looking hard enough. Um, Like it's more about the, the shift from a scarcity of there's only a handful and people think that there's, you know, not many. There might be like a couple of hundred or like a very small amount to go around. Um, it's And it's not shifting from that to like, well, there's 
billions and billions, it's the shift from there's actually more than you realize mm. and you just need to either tweak the system in how that you are finding them yourselves or to tap into a system that is already finding them. And so that's kind of where I come from, from a abundance versus scarcity. It's going moving forward from just thinking that there's only a handful into realizing that actually there's more than I've realized, but it's still not like an infinite amount. Yeah, I think it's a, I think I think it's a really interesting point because if you take a snapshot moment in time, there is a finite amount, you know. Like so, what fundamentally what we're doing is we're buying properties which are cash flow positive in high growth areas with value add potential, the holy trinity, right? And the whole premise around that is if everyone could do that, then they would because it's it's like it's the most unbelievably powerful mechanism that you can use to drive your portfolio faster, achieve your goals faster, and to live a better life. It's fantastic, right? And but the thing is, at, at any moment in time, like today, right today, there is only a finite number of properties that are going to meet all of the criteria. There actually is. Like that's actually true, right? But the way that I think about it, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. You know, that game where you're like, you know, you whack one and a mole comes up somewhere else, right? So the thing is, it is absolutely finite and also simultaneously it is infinite, right? And the reason it is infinite is because markets are constantly evolving. So given a snapshot in time, there might only be right now, today, maybe, I don't know, a couple of hundred properties in the whole country that would meet the criteria of timing, quality, street level dynamics, yields, all of these other factors that make up the, there's about 147 different um, dynamic components that make up our assessment criteria, right? So across the whole country, there might only be a couple of hundred today that are going to meet that criteria. Now, that's not many. There's 9.9 million residential properties in Australia. We're talking about a handful of those that are going to be suitable for you to get the kind of results that, that, that we talk about. Now, the thing is about that, though, is that markets are constantly moving, right? So there's 9.9 million, 9 .9 million residential properties in Australia. Markets are constantly evolving. They go through cycles. They, they get more active. People put properties to market that weren't on the market. So the properties that are available today are going to be different from the properties that are available next week. And the reason for that is some of them are going to get bought and then other people are going to try and sell ones next week. And so what happens is you have this replenishing supply to a certain degree, right? But then also markets change. So location change and then yield dynamics change and so you've got this constantly evolving uh, evolving market and then you've also got these other kind of this other complete other vector where sometimes that you know there might be properties that are relatively new today but in 10 years time they're going to be you know an established property an established neighborhood with different market dynamics as well and so as the economy continues to evolve and as markets continue to change that's where the exponentiality comes come, comes out of it. And that's kind of like a big part of what we do as well. It's not like, oh, we found this one suburb where you can get them and, oh, my God, quick, let's buy all of them in this suburb because that's it. Once we leave the suburb, they're gone. Like, that's it. There's, there'll be no more. It's actually much more of a case of like, right, we've identified a location. Let's buy all the properties in this location that meet our criteria that we can get before other people get them. Fantastic. And then as other markets mature, then they open up new fields of opportunity. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you're a farmer and you had all of these had a, had a whole bunch of paddocks. It's like having different crops that are get planted at different times and they bear fruit at different times, which means that you're going to pull a harvest from a different paddock every, every month or whatever, right? And so you've got this kind of rotational thing going on, which actually does allow for a replenishing supply. What do you think about that? Um, it's interesting, right? Because I think if you 
like that's a super macro view, right? That's like national, like zoom way out. Um, and if you're, <laughs> which is your natural state of being, um, if you're zoomed way out and you're taking in the whole picture, right, you can see that as it rotates through cycles, as you rotate through locations, you there is an infinite opportunity that arises at that level. Mm. But I think it's when you don't have that super macro of a view when you're zoomed in, like if you take any of those kind of elements or metrics there where you actually constrain it to just look at that particular point. So it might be that you're just looking at a particular location. Um, if you're just looking at it for a particular point in time, maybe it's just like a week where you do your research and then make a conclusion that oh, there's no properties. Like if you take the picture of, if you use a whack-a-mole analogy again, if you picture you're zooming out and it's like this huge whack-a-mole field and you've got like thousands of whack-a-moles, you can look at it from a high view looking down and you can see how it moves around and you can see that there's a pattern and you can see that there's consistently moving opportunities keep coming up. But if you're just looking at like one little portion of the whack-a-mole board, it might be like couple of months before you start to see activity and where you're looking. So mm. if you're looking at that the wrong time or you're looking at the wrong location, yeah. it's easy to think that there's not anything happening because you're just too zoomed in. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of, which is kind of where I was coming from as well in terms of the scarcity mindset, it's like you, you're constrained by what you're looking at whereas if you look a little bit further out you can see that there's more opportunity whether that's like i said more locations or if it's a broader time horizon that kind of thing um yeah does that make sense it makes it makes total sense and it's i thought of another analogy as well it's like when you were talking about zooming in when you were talking about zooming in and it's only seeing what's in front of you and don't ask me why i thought of this right but i was like imagine if you were imagine if you were in a in a card factory like you know playing cards and if you picked up one deck of cards, right, and if you were just looking at that one deck of cards, you're standing in the middle of the card factory, you look at the one deck of cards, you would only find one queen of hearts, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at one queen, if you're looking at that one pack of cards in your hand, you're going to be like, oh my God, there's only one queen of hearts. But in fact, all around you, there's boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of other places that you'll find one more queen of hearts, one more queen of hearts, right? So if you zoomed in, if you only look in one, if you're, if you're too zoomed in, you will only see a finite parameter. But in, in practice, you know, we do live in an infinite universe. We do have an infinite level of abundance, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I think that what people need to do is they not, need to start thinking on an exponential macro scale so that they don't get caught up in a scarcity mindset. I think a scarcity mindset fundamentally is one of the biggest things that hold, holds people back because they feel like they are in competition with everybody else for everything else, you know, and, and that doesn't serve anyone, like the only thing that serves you is personal betterment, you know, and, and sometimes people can get so caught up in trying to have the best that they also forget that there is no best. Like better, better is a subjective measure. So we actually had one of our team members today who is, um, he was looking at a property to buy, you know, and and it was really it was really interesting because he was asking for my advice on it and all of this kind of stuff. And it's a great property. It's producing about a twenty percent cash on cash return. It's in a really good growth location. It's like it's a real winner, right? It's a real winner. And uh, and I said, so what's so what's holding you back? And he said, oh, but I'm just wondering. Like, I just do you th do you think I'd be able to find better? 
And I was like, well, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, absolutely, of course you can find better because better is subjective. What is it? Better, like a better, better bricks, better color bricks, or is it a better, maybe, maybe slightly closer to the shopping center? Uh, is it better because? But I don't know, but you've got to fundamentally look at it as what is right. So when you're making these decisions as well, you're also going to go, okay, is this right for me? Because there's always going to be better. If you get caught up in that game, it's like being in a relationship. If you're always, if you're always like, oh my God, maybe there's somebody else. Maybe there's going to be somebody else down the road or whatever. You can, you can, you can end up dying alone because you never realized what was right in front of you it was beautiful and amazing. And I think people can get caught up in this, like this, this, this dissatisfaction that, oh my God, maybe somebody else is going to get it. Maybe somebody else has got something else other than me and it's this comparison game and i think that this it all comes from a scarcity mindset thinking that 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 there's only there's only one correct and it's just there's the only truth i think in the universe is that there is no truth there is no actual finite bottom line full stop that's that and, and i think once you can understand that then everything starts to fold in on itself and you realize there are no edges you know and if there are no edges then you can do whatever you want so well, yeah no <laughs> Apologize. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> funny. Um, no, just thinking about like the, yeah, the zero sum game. Like the idea being where for some for somebody to win, like somebody else else has to lose. Like that's the the philosophy, right? And I think yeah. it's so prevalent in society today where we do have that competitiveness and we have the comparison and we have like, oh, well, what could be better? Whereas if you actually just kind of acknowledge where you're at and like if you find an amazing opportunity that perfectly moves you forward playing up the risks of like okay well i could i could run with this and get a really good opportunity or i can say no because i'm waiting for this other perfect thing but then you may never find that perfect thing and it's this whole risk analysis thing um i was just thinking as well about like we've actually had this issue with our team training them up how to like shortlist properties and do do Due, due diligence on these properties that they're finding and because we're selecting really good locations before it gets to them so our system is identifying the best locations at any point in time um our team who do a lot of the due diligence are actually they've got quite an abundant mindset now that where they're kind of like rejecting properties that are actually really good because <laughs> they're getting too many good ones that they don't realize how rare the properties that they're looking are are at and you've done this recently in the last couple of weeks where you've been training them and you're like why did you reject that property and they're like oh I will listen this and it's not like good enough and this like the yield wasn't quite there and all this kind of thing and we're like this is seven percent yield and like what do you <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, and it's in a good growth location yeah. and it's yeah 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 it's yeah. it's it's so it's so funny, isn't it? Because our reject pile is probably better than most people's like you know top one percent pile. It's quite it's quite yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny. So it can go it can kind of go both ways. Yeah, 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 sure. So I think there's a I think there's another piece though. Like so the the abundance the abundance versus scarcity thing is a big one. Like obviously you and I have no we just we we we've proven it so far. That there is no, there are no edges yet. So we haven't, we certainly haven't found the edge, right? And even if you're buying, even if you're buying the top one percent of properties, right, in the country at, a, at any given point in time, that means that there's you know ninety nine thousand properties that we could buy, right? Over a period of time, they're not all going to be the right properties at that point in time. It's probably only a couple hundred at any given point in time. That's still a lot of properties. That's a thousand properties a year for ninety nine years. Like that's a lot. <laughs> like I don't, I don't think we're going to run out soon. 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's going to run out really soon. That'd be if only if we bought one percent of all the properties in the country at the time at the time that the market was correct. And if we and and if we assumed that only one percent of the country is going to be is going to be the right uh, at the right point at the time. If we've only bought the top one percent of properties at and only one percent of the locations were the right point in the cycle in the whole country, that'd mean that we would run out in year one hundred. Like, I, I, I'll take that. I think that's in that. Sorry, just to be clear, that's if we were buying a thousand properties a year. So realistically, we're you know we're not currently buying not currently buying a thousand properties a year. But you know if you average that, out, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of houses to buy. That's a lot of lives to change. Like I I don't I'm not worried about it running out. <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't seem like that big of a thing to me. But I think there's another fundamental piece as well. It's like even if we did think that was the like even if we did think there was a finite supply, like it still fundamentally requires capital and debt to be able to go and buy loads of properties. Like just because you can find them doesn't mean you can buy them. And I think that's been like one of the biggest things for us over the last over the last um, couple of years since we started the business. You know, I, I don't I don't mind telling people that when we started the business, we started it with five thousand dollars, and let anyone who's anyone who started a business knows that the first couple of years are pretty tough. Like we haven't, you know, like we've been focusing on growing the business and helping others and serving others. You know, we don't have, or we certainly over the last couple of years haven't had an abundance of capital, available capital, and available debt. Mm-hmm. So, so we haven't been able to go and like go on a buying spree. You know, would I like to go and go on a massive buying spree? Sounds great, right? But we don't have an infinite supply of cash. We don't have an infinite supply of debt. You know, so fundamentally, like we can't just go and buy every single property that we find. It's not practical. You know, we also find a lot of them, and so you know that it all starts to compound. So, and I think a lot of people miss that. And they're, what they're looking for is they're looking for reasons to not believe. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that that's, I think that that's a real shame. <laughs> I think that's a real shame. There's a lot of magic in the world and there's a lot of kindness and there's a lot of beauty. And if you're constantly looking for reasons to not believe, you're living in a pretty dark and miserable place. I don't know. What do you think to that? I think it's, it sounds like a horrible place to be. I choose to believe in magic. <laughs> you know, I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, no, I think it's it's interesting because it's actually one of our, you know, criteria, if you will, about like people that we want to work with in our business is that they've got a growth mindset. They've got like this abundance, want to believe in the good in the world and that want to like lean towards believing people as opposed to not believing people. And that's not because we're like trying to find these gullible people that'll buy our bullshit. Like it's, it's because no. we, that's the mindset of, people that you know if we can impact them they're probably going to impact other people you know if we can find people who are the game changers in themselves and help them to get ahead then they're probably going to spend their time helping other people and it becomes this amazing flywheel effect that i feel really privileged to be a part of in having that impact in society and so i I really want to work with people who have that potential to help others as well so yeah, just that, just that believability and that, like, on on the front, like, the people who would ask these kind of questions of, like, well, why don't you buy them all yourselves? Not everyone asks in that way, like a troll. Um, but, you know, a fair, a fair majority of people will ask it in that kind of a way because they don't, they, they, as you said, they're trying to not believe it because they don't really want to believe it because they'd prefer to be sceptical and they'd prefer to believe that... Um, 
you know, whatever situation they're in is because of something outside of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one because as I'm a I'm a passionate adherent to the scientific method. Like I think that I think there is, as I mentioned earlier, there is no such thing as truth, right? It's it's only whatever we know now, and it's a constant quest quest for new answers and uh, and all of that kind of stuff. And so what that requires, what that requires is that you suspend belief to a certain degree about anything. But there's a difference between being a skeptic for skeptic's sake and disbelieving everything and trying to find the fault in everything and being optimistically skeptical or genuinely curious. And I think optimistically skeptical is taking a position where, you know, you're, you're prepared to believe that things can be great, but you're also prepared to know that there's also a lot of stuff that you don't know. And, be, and that, that encourages curiosity. And I think that that's great. I think that's healthy. I, and I think that that's actually a, a hallmark characteristic of someone who does have a growth mindset. Because if they've got a growth mindset, they know that there aren't any edges and therefore they're curious to find what's next, right? So it encourages that kind of curious mind, but it's also optimistically positive and you know, lives in an abundant state and wants to give to others and all of that kind of stuff, which kind of, kind of drives us to the, the, the third point, really, you know, Back when we started the business, we we literally I, I actually still Gabby remember the moment that we looked at each other and we were really excited and we said, "Wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just help ten people? Like, wouldn't that be amazing?" And that was the moment we decided to start the business. Like nothing's changed. Like nothing's <laughs> changed. I mean, we've helped a lot more than ten people now. Like you know, um, but the but the premise of what we wanted to do was to help people. And we made a decision that we wanted to prioritize that over ourselves. And we've talked about this in other podcasts. I've talked about it on other people's podcasts. I talk about this all the time. Me personally, and I think it's the same for yourself, but I'd rather, I prefer you to talk about it. I'm actually not like, yes, yes, I want to be the world's happiest billionaire one day and I want to travel the world in my re- renewable energy super yacht. Sweet. Sounds awesome fundamentally though i'm not actually driven by cash you know for me i'm like all right what what do you do with it all like you know i mean invest it cool but like it doesn't really change the day-to-day of of things that happen i mean what, what we do we do what we get to do what we love we get to help people we get to run an amazing business we get to you know exercise you know be be intellectually stimulated and financially rewarded i mean i don't know what else there is i love it right mm-hmm. so for me it's not this it's not an escape plan you know it's not actually like quick 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 let's try and like achieve this outcome so that we can you know it seems very insular to, to me person personally right and i totally understand when people want to change their lives and i totally understand the value of of achieving financial freedom and all of that kind of stuff but for me, it's impact. For me, it's how many lives can I change? How many people can we serve? How many, like, how far-reaching can we make this? How can so? How do we fundamentally put a ding in the universe? You know, to borrow from Steve Jobs. That's that's the thing that that's the thing that drives me. That's the thing that makes me wake up in the morning and sit down and look at spreadsheets and think about analysis models because I'm like, oh, imagine if we could do this better, and imagine what would happen then, and imagine that's the thing that drives me: the curiosity and the impact. You know, and like I wonder whether this system that we built, whether, whether we can use it in China, whether we can use it in the US, what would have to be different about that? Imagine if we could help all those people. Could we change the world? Mm-hmm. That's the way that I think. 
That to me is so much more exciting. And in fact, to our own personal detriment, to our own personal detriment, because we don't we don't spend enough time focusing on ourselves because we're so driven by how much we could what we could do exponentially to achieve what we could achieve for other people and help them create a create a more macro impact on society. And I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding that. I think a lot of people don't operate that way. Um, I don't know any other way to operate. So <laughs> for me, it's normal. But I've come to realize that it's not normal for most people. It's not normal for most people to think like that. And so when they when when somebody says, no, I actually want to help other people, it's often met with a lot of skepticism. Yeah, 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 sure. But what are you trying to get out of it? You know, And that's something I've, I, I don't have a clear answer for that other than like, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not the... It's not the makeup, like. Yeah, in in some ways, right? I'm so like I'm so grateful, and I feel so lucky that you and I found each other because we're exactly the same way. Like, why exactly that same way? Like, I couldn't give a shit about my own personal wealth, as you said, like to our detriment. Like, I know that it will come as a result of impact, um, but it certainly doesn't drive me every day. Like, it doesn't, and I think. Um, I think part of the reason like people tend to not believe when when people make the claims of like, no, I'm just doing this for impact is because I think a lot of other businesses tend to actually bullshit with that and they will say it because they're like, oh, well, people want to hear that. They're like, yeah, I'll say that I care about my clients and like I want to help people and stuff, but the way that they actually operate does not indicate that at all. Mm. But they keep saying it because it's going to help to bring people in because they want to like build the trust as soon as they can. Whereas with us, it's like 100% genuine. Like we are yeah. here, like everything that we do in our, whole, in our whole lives, essentially, like we don't do much else, but it's like everything in the business is designed about how do we have the most impact? How do we design our systems and our research process and train the team and hire the right people to make sure that we have the most amount of impact on the individuals that come through the business? Um, as a post, like it's not lip service at all. Like it is like yeah. we live and breathe this every single day. Um, and I think like the other side of that is like, like we do charge for our services, right? So we, 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 it's, it's a fee for service to work with us, to have our whole system work with our whole team. Like you get our whole team with you through the whole journey and beyond. Like the goal is that we have clients for life with every single client. Like we will make that sh- as, as much as a, uh, reality as we can. But, um, so we do charge a fee, but it's like, we're not in business for the, charging of the fees like I think that's why people also don't believe it because they think like well what aren't you just starting a business to then charge people money so then you can like grow your wealth by charging people money and that kind of thing and I'm like I just don't even I don't even think about that we charge money because there's realities of running a business yeah and I think for me like the impact as well it's like on a real selfish level like the impact for me personally like I want to impact other people but like on my day-to-day level like i love what we do i love building a business i love serving clients i love growing a team i love all of that and i can't imagine not doing that in a day-to-day so like if it wasn't this that we were doing which is trying to help and impact other people like i would start another business that was trying to help and impact other people because it's the act of growing a business that helps other people that is what i live for and it's like it's not about the financial aspects at all Totally. I think it's worth pointing out, though, there's an interesting distinction there because when we say that kind of stuff, then people might naturally assume that what we're saying is all that we do is eat beans on toast and we never we never buy any new clothes <laughs> and, and everything like that. But again, that's a zero-sum game mindset. 
Because just because you put others first doesn't mean you put yourself last, right? So whilst we're driven by a purpose and we're driven by impact and we're driven by all of this kind of stuff, it doesn't mean that we have to operate in an extreme. It's okay. It's okay for us to build personal wealth too. It's okay for us to run a business. It is okay for that business to be profitable. It is okay for us to go and buy investment properties too. And it doesn't have to be extreme altruism, right? But it can actually, the, but the core motivating driver can be different. You know, if the function of creating a business is so that you can create cash and then you can go spend all that cash on, on real estate. And don't get me wrong, I have actually had mentors and stuff who literally, not, not metaphorically, literally said that. You, uh, all you should do is you should try and make as much cash as possible, as fast as possible and spend it on real estate. And they, just to be clear, they were not mentors for much longer after that because that just didn't make sense to me. Like, how do you build an enduring business that lasts and have an impact? Yes, building in wealth along the way is part of the journey. We want the same thing for ourselves and our team members as we want for our clients. We want it for everyone and we are part of the global everyone. Like, we are the same as you. We want we want. To get wealthier and have a have a more affluent lifestyle, and don't get me wrong, we live a great life. You know, we have everything that we need, and we want. We don't really want for anything. It's it's wonderful. Like it's cool, right? Um, so I think it's easy to mistake. Like when we say things, we're driven by putting others first. That that must mean that well, we we you know that we live. We don't even have a bed. We just sleep on the floor, right? And that's not true. And I don't think, and this is, again, I think comes down to the zero-sum game, the abundance versus scarcity mindset. It's, it's actually possible for everyone to have everything. <laughs> you know, like I, I formed a fundamental belief when I was uh, very young, and I have no idea why I formed this belief, but it's something, it's something that has stuck with me for a very long, it has stuck with me my whole life, right? And I think I was only about seven or something when I, when I was thinking about it. And I, I realized that money is the single commodity that you, in single tradable commodity in the entire world that you can always get more of. Simple. So it was the first sign to me that affluence was truly infinite. You can always get more of it. The supply of money is going up. People are getting well. Like it's a, it's growing. It's a font. It's just continuously producing more. So therefore, you don't have to play a scarcity game of like, oh, well, if they get that, then I will get nothing. It's like, well, no, we can all have everything. And I think that, um, yeah, anyway, I've kind of waxed on about that that enough. <laughs> um, but I think there's another big piece in there. And you, you talked about it, about, about serving our clients as well. And yes, yes, we do charge a fee for our services because, you know, we, what we do is awesome and has a high degree of, uh, you know, expertise and a high degree of technology, all of this kind of stuff. But fundamentally, I think one of the things that people miss and I think that people don't understand is that when we're entrusted by our clients to, to help them, we take that quite seriously, <laughs> you know. Like if someone if someone comes along and they want help to improve their their life, and they have entrusted us to be the custodians on that journey to move them there, that's something that we take really really seriously. Like I, I, I know I know that integrity might be something that is in short supply in many places, not least of which the real estate industry. But I'm sorry, like. That's not something that we want to fuck around with. Like that is really, really important to us. And that that care and that custodianship over that process and actually putting others first. And in t- just to be clear, internally we do that, right? So because we have a team that we're building and it's continuously growing, 
one of the things with that is we want all of our team members to have the same opportunity to to become you know have a, a life of abundance and to buy properties and to do all that kind of stuff too, right? So the way, but the way that we do that is that we treat our team members like clients, and then that, there's a there's a process to make sure that we're not cherry picking the cherry picking some great deals and all of that kind of stuff too, right? And so. What, and the reason for that is because we want to make sure that we're treating everyone fairly and everyone gets the same outcomes and everyone gets the same, same results, right? And so I think that that's one of the biggest things that people, people don't believe is because they're like, well, I don't know. I've, I've, there's been so much evidence in my life, some people are probably thinking, that, that you know, integrity doesn't exist, that when they see it, they just find it hard to stomach and they assume that it must be a lie. Um, but I don't know. What have you got to say on that topic? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's a protection methodology, right, for people where they prefer to, like we were saying earlier, just not believe in the good in other people when they say that that they're doing the right thing or that they have your best interests at heart. Um, and so it is quite tricky for us. Like, again, you and I are like the, the same in terms of like we wear so much responsibility <laughs> on the well-being of our clients and our team and every everyone. But like if our clients specifically – engage us like they're coming to us for help mm. and we are damn well going to show up and make sure that we can help them to the best of our abilities and it's like as soon as anything goes a little bit curly we are like there we are like making sure that they're okay we're doing 110 percent to make sure that everything is fine um and again like it might sound like just bullshit like we're talking talking about like all these amazing things that we do but it's genuinely like what happens like Every single day, we're like checking in with all of our clients and making sure that they're okay and they're happy and satisfied. And can we do anything else? And and thinking about processes, like I draw out freaking maps of like how do we serve the clients better? How do we talk to? How do we give more value? All this kind of yeah. stuff. Like this is just genuinely how we live. Yeah, and I think it, I think it comes down to the fact that like for, for certainly for you and I, so I or I believe that you know at the end of the day, at the end of the day, all you have is your reputation right? At the end of the day, all you have is your reputation and your reputation is going to be based on your integrity. Your reputation doesn't mean that you will never get things wrong, right? Sometimes you get things wrong. Sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we make mistakes, you know, but it's about how you can show up to own that and, and how you can live in integrity. And I think that's one of the biggest things for us is to live in integrity, uh, you know, to, to be able to to be able to just own it and to and to work with it, and I think that that's one of the things that people miss. Um, it's also one of the reasons that we, when clients come to work with us, they typically stick around and buy and end up buying loads of properties as well, right? So that's actually part of the reason that it's um, that it could be sometimes quite hard to to work with us because there's a, there is you know we've got capacity limits and people tend to stick around. Um, yeah, and I think I think I don't know. I think that's the thing that drives it for me is I would just hate for anyone to I would hate for anyone to to not get what they want, or also to feel like they had uh, a disingenuous uh, experience that lacked integrity. I think that would be that would be I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I felt that way. Mm -hmm. So yep, yep, cool, cool. So. Do you think we clarified? We went really tangential in some of that stuff, which is pretty normal. But do you think we clarified why we don't just go and buy all of the properties ourselves? In summary, we're good guys. <laughs> we're good guys and we don't have infinite resources of capital. Pretty simple, yep, that's, right? That's basically it. 
Pretty, pretty simple. Um, so uh, if you would like to get access to the top 1% of properties in the top 1% of locations, then just hit, it, hit us up. Go to dashdot.com.au or go to theinvestorlab.com.au, um, suss it out and yeah, get in touch. We'd be more than happy to have a conversation. And if we have capacity and if there is room, uh, then we would love to invite you to become one of our clients and to one of us and to join the family and to join the community and be and be a part of this. So um, till next time, stay awesome. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye.